Well, friends, this morning as we uh, return uh, to 1 Peter, um, I, I ask you to open your Bibles to, uh, to 1 Peter. Um, just remind you of, of the hope and the blessing, the privilege that, um, that we continue to read in 1 Peter. Um, and that is looking at, the, uh, at two portraits, two portraits of the believer's uh, glorious salvation in which we stand. And, and friends, any time that we look at the hope of the gospel and we look at the hope of salvation, we realize and understand that there's, there's two positions here. There is the position of one being in Christ, and there is the position of one being out of Christ, not in Christ. And that is uh, oftentimes a very hopeless state. It, it, well, not often, it is. <laughs> it is a hopeless state to, be, to not be in Christ. And so, um, as we look at this beautiful picture, this beautiful painting, may we rejoice and, as I said in my prayer, revel in the, in the reality of, of, of the hope that we have in Christ. As we look at this beautiful portrait, this beautiful painting that is given to us by First Peter, or by Peter, may we stand back and look at it and give glory to God in it as those who are in that hope, those who have hope in the salvation. And if, if you are here this morning or you know others this morning that are not able to look at that portrait and that painting and, and see the hope that is present, uh, may it lead us and draw us uh, to want to partake of such a beauty, want to partake of such a blessed hope. Um, Peter here, as, as we said last week, uh, was, was writing uh, to the northern regions of the Roman province of Asia Minor uh, in modern-day Turkey. Um, it, was, it was those that had been scattered abroad, and, and mainly Gentiles, but there were also Jews that were in part of this scattering. But Peter stated his reason, reasoning for writing, namely to encourage his readers to give them hope in a, in a time of great suffering. And, and we understand that this was uh, not necessarily a time of great suffering in the sense of, um, of physical ailment or anything like that, but it was more so the, the sufferings of, of being a believer in a very antagonistic world, which we can at times uh, relate to. And so for, for these that Peter was writing, they were dealing with family members that were still... Um, haters of God. They, they didn't believe in the one true God, Yahweh, as, as, their, as their Lord. They didn't believe in the Christ uh, being the Messiah, the one to come and save them from their sins. They instead believed in the things of this world and, and potentially were even Jewish believers who began uh, uh, continued to give their hope in Yahweh alone and not trust in the Messiah who had been sent to them to save them. And so, as, as Peter is writing, we keep these things in mind, knowing that he is writing to a people that are, are, are really in a, a tumultuous time, uh, because their own family members are coming against them, saying, why would you reject the things of the Jewish belief? Why would you reject Yahweh and believe such, such uh, hateful things as this man who came, um, you know, and... And, and proclaim to be God himself, why would you put your hope in him? Or, why would you give up everything in your life to follow after this man named Jesus? 
the, the unbelievers of that day, uh, maybe saying to their family members, many of them giving up jobs, many of them giving up um, a place to live, many of them giving up even their own family uh, to follow after their Savior. Well, as Peter is writing this, he's reminding them, those that are exiles of the dispersion, he's telling them there is a living hope for those that are born again. Those that are born again. It is a, it is a blessed hope. And he says that in this, this first portrait of salvation's plan, uh, verses 3 through 5. And we looked at that last week, looking at the future looking at the future. Oftentimes, if, uh, you know, we, we think in our own minds, well, if I only knew what the future ho- held, if I only knew what was to come, I could, I could, I could put all my hope in that. It's, it's almost like we're playing um, the lottery or, or some casino game, and we think, oh, well, if I, knew the thing, if I knew the answer, if I knew what it was going to come out, I would, I would be the one who wins. Well, friends, we, there, there's no lottery. There's no casino here. We know what the hope is of eternity for us because God has clearly put it on display and given it to us, fully revealed in Scripture of where our hope stands. And it stands in Christ alone. And here Peter is reminding them of that. He's painting a picture that publicly proclaims where their hope stands and where it stands alone. And so Peter, as he, as he does in a, a very good way, he, he gives them that future hope, but... But he reminds them that, hey, I'm not just coming to you in this, in this time of life and saying, hey, cheer up. Hey, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad state of life for you right now. Come on, just, just keep your chin up and, and keep on going. You're, you've got this. No, Peter is writing and he says, this is a present hope for us in Christ but keeping in mind that there is a very present reality that you are dealing with. Peter is a good shepherd because he followed an even greater shepherd. As you know, Peter so quickly would deny Christ and, and he, would, he would fall away and he would put his hope in other things here and there. He was a quick-mannered uh, individual, a hasty person, as we see him as a disciple of Christ. And yet... And yet, in his writing, we see much maturity in, in, in him as a believer because ultimately he's being led by the Spirit, this new life in him. And so Peter, in verses 6 through 9, he begins to develop this new portrait of salvation's present reality. A portrait of salvation's present reality. And, and verse 6 is, is, is a direct continuation of the previous verse in verse 5, which, yes, I can count. I, I get that that's happening. <laughs> but the, the content or the focus of verses 6 through 9 sets them apart from verses 3 through 5 as, as, a, as a distinct subunit. And so even though there is connection there, this is a, set, a whole separate portrait. It, like I, I, um, as somebody who loves to paint and create artwork, I'm looking at this as a portrait and so he paints a portrait here of salvation and its hope. And then the second he says, I'm going to paint a whole new picture here. And that present reality is that new picture that he's painting. 
there is a shift from praise for the coming inheritance of salvation to an acknowledgement of the reader's present state of suffering and darkness. However, the, the future glories, they begin to permeate and they penetrate the darkness and they transform these trials through the lens of an eternal perspective. And so, friends, even though Peter is coming and he's saying, this is a future hope for you, this is a glorious reality for you, I also understand that you're struggling with your loved ones um, putting you out from the family. You're dealing in your own heart with the reality that your employer is no longer employing you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm understanding that you have been kicked out of the synagogue because you are not believing in the way the Jews have and, and you have been rejected because you put your faith in this Messiah. So Peter's reminding them of the present suffering and yet all the while as a good shepherd one who loves and cares and shows compassion and is sympathetic, he's permeating all of that with light in great darkness. And so in verse 6, he begins with a present hope. With a present hope. He, he goes on and, and he says in verse 6, follow along as I read, he says, In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But he's reminding them that, that this, is, this is what you hope in. This is what you rejoice in. Even in the suffering, you remind yourself of the hope that has been given to you in verses 3 through 5. As again I say, and again I say, Peter is a good shepherd. This, um, verse 6 is actually... Um, one of these, if, you, if you're in seminary or you're, you're a, a scholar or theologian and you study First Peter, you come to this verse, verse 6, and, and it becomes aware to you that this is what they would refer to as a problem passage. This is a, something that is hard to deal with in the text. And, and so in verse 6, uh, there's something of, of, of how you how you determine what this verse is actually translated as, it will determine the outcome of the whole interpretation of the passage. And so, friends, as I'm not going to go through all the weeds of that, so you're okay, all right? <laughs> We're not going to do that this morning. However, I am going to point out to you that there may be some that come to you and say, well, you know, that's not what Peter is saying. Well, no, um, uh, Matt actually told us in class this is what we're to believe. No, that's not what I want you to say either. But as I interpret the text, as I want you to understand what Peter is saying, there's this, um, this understanding of going further into the, the truth, the reality of the gospel from what has just been said in verses 3 through 5. And he says, wherein or in this, it's, 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 a, it's, a, um, it's an understanding of moreover, you know, because of these things that have happened, because of these truths that you're carrying along with you, you're able to have that light permeate the darkness. And so Peter here is writing them, just reminding them. It's, it's, a, it's the same use that is given in chapter 4, verse 4, where he's saying, for that reason, for this reason, 
you rejoice, Peter is saying. This is, um, this is something that Peter is trying to uphold and trying to impact upon the people to say, uh, you are rejoicing even in your darkness. And uh, many of you have probably experienced having children. You've experienced living with children and, and understand at least what it's like to be a child. And you've been in a place where um, maybe your child was in a room and you turned the light off. I know this doesn't work for all children because there's some strange children that are fine with lights off. And <laughs> I was a child who was petrified when the lights turned off. And, and I have some children of my own that you turn the light off and they're like, Dad! Ah! What in the world are you doing? You're leaving me in here and I'm like a foot away from them. And yet the darkness is scary. It is, it is a scary place. And, and friends, that's, that's, a, that's a true reality for us because God is that representation of light and we love to be in the light and walk in the light because we see, we know, we, we don't have to hope. We see the reality of what is before us. Whereas in the darkness, we can't see. We may have hope, but the darkness oftentimes strangles the hope. And Peter is saying here, like he would to a child, that, look, there is light just right here. This is darkness here, but I have a light here. And remember, all we have to do is flip the switch and light is there again. He's reminding them that there is a hope even in this darkness. I realize it is dark now, and I realize things are hard now, but remember what we just talked about the trials, they, they are different for everybody. It may not be that you are rejected by your family because of your faith. It may not be that you are rejected by your employer because of, of your belief. But here in our day and age, it may be a momentary affliction, although it seems that it lasts for years, of a physical ailment. It may be the reality of a scorned individual who who maybe, rightfully so, is angry at you, but unwilling to forgive. It may be an instance where it is a family member who continues to be angry with you, even though you perpetually try to seek forgiveness. Friends, there are all kinds of darkness in this world. There are all kinds of things that the enemy would desire to separate you from the hope of the Father. And that's what, that's what Peter writes here. He says, beginning with verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials. Uh, this term means it's really multicolored. It's variegated. It's, it, is, it, is a, it, is, it is a picture of, of this... Uh, of technicolor. It is, is all kinds. You know, James talks about this. And he says the trials of various kinds. Well, friends, this is what Peter is writing about here. The, the, the manifold temptations, one, um, one, interpret, one uh, translation writes. But it's multicolored is essentially what Peter is writing. And friends... These trials, they're different for everybody because the spiritual necessities are different for everybody. 
And this is where we begin to put our, our theology into practice, as Mark Hager, Dr. Hager, likes to tell us often in counseling. You put your theology into practice. And here, what Peter is saying is that you have this situation going on in your life, whether that is a, a family member that is, is unloving, or whether that is an employer that is unloving or uncaring or, or is mistreating you, or whether that is um, a friend that has been embittered towards you, or maybe there's just hopelessness in the reality, you know, as a, as a new mother, you're coming into the home and you're trying to care for a baby and everything seems to be falling apart and you're not getting sleep and everything seems to be going south and a husband is trying to shepherd you and doesn't know what to do or where to turn and everything is flying apart so quickly and yet, and yet there is to be hope. These, these hardships, these trials, they are multicolored, Peter says. They, are, they manifest in so many ways, but he says they are necessity for you and your spiritual walk. Friends, do we believe that everything God does is perfect? Friends, do we believe that everything God does is perfect? We do. We put hope, stake, in the reality that everything God does is perfect. And even that reality is in the trials that we face. Because He is perfecting you in the way that you need to be perfected in the very trial that you are facing in this moment. And Peter is saying, remember the hope in verses 3 through 5 so that in this time of trial, you will rest in your Savior. We're all at different points along this sort of path of spiritual development and the Lord needs to do different things in our lives so that we get tests Tested according to the necessity that God determines that we have for them or that He has for us. And we rejoice in those tests, he says in verse 6. Rejoice in this. It's dark. It's scary. It's horrible. But listen, there is hope in Christ because of that future hope that He has given, that reminder. Rejoice in those tests because we trust, friends, we trust that they are the perfect plan of God. Friends, these are verses 7 through 9. These are earthly problems, but they are purposeful. In verse, verse 7 of Peter, 1 Peter 1, he seeks to help his readers view their negative experiences from an eternal perspective. Their suffering has a divine purpose. In other words, there's this purpose clause here that he says, so that it is, the, it is necessary for the perfecting of your faith for the end glory that you have a hope that you're looking for. One translation, and I think it's helpful, it says, you have been put to grief that the proven or the tested, or the genuine part of your faith might be found to be more precious than gold, which perishes through being proved, though being proved by fire, unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Friends, these, these trials, they, they purify our faith. They make it stronger. They make it better for us. We don't like it. And oftentimes people go to this passage and they're talking and they give the illustration of, of exercising. I don't like to exercise. And you say, yes, I can understand that. And, and I don't, I don't. I, I don't like to exert the physical force. I've been trying to, and I've been trying to clear up some logs. And yesterday I've been over for the first time, probably in a couple of days, and it felt like my back was going to explode. And I see, see, this is why I shouldn't do those things. <laughs> no. But the reality is, is that those hard trials, they are purifying. They're building back a muscle that is supposed to be stronger that is in Christ. And Christ is keeping you along the way. Friends, he's done this all, God has done this all throughout history. God tested Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham passed the test with flying colors. Although I'm sh- I can't imagine what was going through his mind. But God tested the Israelites in the wilderness to humble them, to prove to them, and to learn what was in their hearts, whether they would keep God's commandments, and whether they would love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And we might think of these testings as a quality control procedure. Yahweh needed to expose the flaws in Israel's faith and faithfulness so that he might provide the necessary discipline to restore them to proper faith and faithfulness. And this testing was intended to do them good rather than harm. But the corrective discipline was usually painful. It was usually painful. And God, He also tests Christians. Now we say God doesn't test us, God doesn't tempt us. But He does uh, test us. Test us by fire. The person who passes those tests today can expect to be spared the testing at the end of fire. Matthew 26, Luke 8, James 1, 1 Peter 4. These are all evidences of those Christians being tested. But God tested these Asia Minor Christians to give them opportunity to show that their faith was genuine. He did that to put on display their faith by showing its value in verse 7 that you being much more precious than gold which perishes though being approved by fire why by showing its existence that it might be found it's it's a passive tense here where God is the one who is searching it's not that I'm out there saying oh man I got to find my faith or I got to do the right thing here God is actually the one in pursuit Again, our hope is in the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. It's by bringing glory to God. Putting on display our faith by bringing glory to God. Unto praise, verse 7, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Friends, Peter here leaps into a series of of. Of, of language that, and phrases that they modify, they, they expound upon who Jesus Christ is, and, 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 it, and it fleshes out His glory and, and His future kingdom, all showing the preciousness and the persevering nature of our proven faith. 
It is until Jesus is revealed that they must follow an unseen leader. We don't see him in the physical, but we are led by the Spirit to follow faithfully in the way in which he has called us. And unlike Peter, they, they never had the opportunity to see Jesus walk through Palestine like the generation earlier, and, and yet they still are to love him and to follow him as a good shepherd. And that's why Jesus, and that's why Peter calls them here to deepen our love for Christ. Even though we have never seen him, he is the object of our love. It is the condition of our love that we have not seen him, and yet we are to follow after him because of the character of the love. That This is, this is put on display by Peter in this portrait. Even though we are not presently seeing Christ, though now you see not him, yet you believe, he says in verse 8. Just as Jesus had told Thomas, who had, been, who had seen the resurrected Jesus, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and who have believed, John twenty twenty nine. Because of the faith of these Asia Minor Christians, God will give them joy beyond expressing and, and He will fill them with glory. Despite having no empirical foundation for the faith, this is the, the cause of the grievous, grievous alienation and the persecution from society. Their love and their faith for Jesus and their certainty in, their, in, the, in, in His coming. This was glorious vindication for them. God, Peter was inspiring them to, faith, to continue on, to remain faithful because of what Christ had done on their behalf. Friends, we'll close with this. One writer says this, the sense is that Christians now obtain by faith what they will only fully enter into at the end. The power of the new age is is already at work and allows Christians at their present plight nevertheless to experience something of, of the eschatological joy awaiting them. But this present salvation is evident in the fact that unlike their previous identity as not a people, walking in darkness without mercy, they are now a chosen people. They are a chosen people. And not just a chosen people, but a what? a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God and to His wonderful light they have been called. And it is the present salvation that they are to grow up in through the transformation of their character. Chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 tells. This present salvation is not only cause for inexpressible exaltation, but such exaltation itself is the very evidence of its presence. So friends, how are you handling those trials, those tribulations, the darkness that is present? Are you allowing this light to permeate, to burst through in that darkness? It was uh, the Lord knew that Claude should sing that song this morning because I was going to quote it by Fanny Crosby. All the way my Savior leads me, 
What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus, what? Doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each guiding, a winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, trial feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Friends, he will take you even as verse 3 says, through the endless ages into eternity because of that hope that Peter has expressed to us and expressed to the Christians in that modern or in that day those who didn't have a hope other than the hope of Christ i pray that you will rest in that hope of Christ each and every day reminding yourselves of the truths let's pray closing lord may we rest in these things that you have set before us these portraits of salvation one which clearly presents the hope of a future glory and the other which presents the present reality that is dark and that is that is full of grumbling and trial and tribulation and yet all the while that present reality is to be broken up and and the light of glory is to shine through because of your love and care knowing that even those trials they are making us what you would have us to be perfecting us to be like your son jesus christ I pray for my friends this morning, Lord, that you would carry them along the way, leading them unto you to have hope in the Christ in which we only have hope in. In his name we pray. Amen.